The wise man built his house upon a rock. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, we're going to be reading verses 6 through 11. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. But first, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Let's pray. Lord, as our brother Jason prayed as we began this worship service, we are a needy people. We are in need of your word to mold us, to shape us, to guide us, to direct us, to convict us. So come, Holy Spirit. Shine a light in the innermost parts of our hearts and minds that we may, that as we read, we might also understand and do. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. This is God's Word, 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. One of the earliest recollections I have as a little boy was the thought that there was an unfriendly person or thing that lived under my bed. So at night, just before the lights were turned off, I'd look again to see that nothing was there. The origin, or should I say the instigators for this kind of thinking, was no doubt my older brothers who had taken aggravation to a science. They knew how to carefully and subtly plant enough evidence in my mind to get me going down that line of thought, but not so much to give away their sinister scheme. So usually after a while of fretting, of bearing the weightiness of this prospect, I'd go into my parents' room with my cares and my mom would always assure me, it's all right. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's all right. And in this text, 
God is speaking to those of us who may be fearful. And He's saying it's all right. There's nothing to be afraid of. In this text, our Heavenly Father is speaking to those of us who have failed. And this text is saying the reason why you fail is because you look to yourselves. This text is speaking to those of us who are experiencing sore trial. And it's saying to us that the burden of this trial is to be borne by another. Be anxious for nothing, Paul says. Do not be anxious about your life, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Cast your care on Jesus today. Leave your worry and fear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Jesus is very near, so says that familiar refrain in the old gospel hymn. So four things this morning, four things that Peter is saying to us in this passage. The first is is the trouble that confronts us, the trouble that confronts us. Look at verse 9. He's talking about suffering. Peter is writing this epistle probably in the early 60s A.D., just before what we call the Neronian persecution, that that persecution that surrounds the Roman emperor Nero, when Christians are going to be thrown to the lions and many of them are going to die martyrs' deaths. So every chapter in this epistle warns about a coming suffering. And certainly there are those particular periods of times and those particular places where persecution is particularly intense. But suffering is the lot of every Christian. Every follower of Jesus Christ knows something about suffering. Look at verse 8. He talks about your adversary, your opponent. The devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This passage goes far in answering the question, where does suffering come from? The answer is it comes from the devil. It's what the book of Job teaches that That encounter you remember between Satan and God and it's Satan who brings the suffering upon Job. And you want to say to Job in in almost every chapter, Job, stop blaming God. It's the devil. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he talks about that thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan, he calls it. And here in verse 7, he talks about anxieties, fear, cognitive, physical, emotional, and behavioral. Anxiety affects all of it. It affects the way we think. It affects our bodies. It affects our emotions. It affects the way we behave. Cares, worries, anxieties. Look at verse 7 at the end of it. Peter is going on to say that he cares for you. Do you understand why he's saying that? It's because anxiety raises a terrible question. When trouble comes, 
when trials come, when Satan buffets, when you find yourself failing, when once again you've made a mess of it, there's the question that pops up in our head. Now you're too polite to voice it, so let me voice it for you. And the question is, does God care? Does God care? Does He really care? You know, if I were in charge, things wouldn't happen this way. If I were in charge, it wouldn't be so hard. If I were in charge, there wouldn't be so much failure. So does He care? Does He really care? That's where some of us may be this morning. Way too polite to voice that out in public, but... You may be cramped and and turned in upon yourself because of of trials and difficulties that have come from the outside and some of them from the inside. And you're asking yourself the question and maybe you're even answering the question, God, do you care? Do you really care? Because if you cared, would you allow this to happen? If you cared... Would you ever allow my children to go through the things that they're going through? The trouble that confronts us. Second thing that Peter draws our attention to is the grace that empowers us. He he talks, first of all, you notice in verse 6, about the mighty hand of God. God is powerful. God is all-powerful. God is omnipotent God is sovereign he reigns we're Presbyterians or at least we're committed to the the reformed faith we believe in the sovereignty of God we're not doubting God's ability we're not doubting his power to change things that's not our problem our problem is does he want to change things does he want to change things So you see at the end of verse 5, he says he gives grace. Grace to the humble. And drop down to verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of, look at it, the God of all grace. All grace. Does he care? Does he care for me? I mean, really, does he care for me in my situation in this time, in this venue? Does he care? Listen to the inviolable Word of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Listen. He that spared not His own Son, but freely delivered Him up for us all. Does God care? My friends, God has so loved us to a degree that is immeasurable, that is boundless, You go to the cross. You go to Calvary. You go to the crucifixion of Jesus. And what do you see? You see the love of God. The love of God for me, that's what I see. You see the love of God that spared not His own Son, that poured out His unmitigated wrath upon His Son for me, for you. Does God care? When you look at the cross, when you 
gaze upon the cross, when you contemplate the significance of Calvary, you're tempted to say, and and can we even speak in these ways, He loves us more than He loves the Son. He doesn't spare His Son out of love for us. You're tempted to say when you look at the cross, He loves me more than He loves His own Son. And that cannot be. But it sure looks like it. Does God care? The cross, the God of all grace, proves that He cares. He cares for me. What is the... What does the cross achieve? It achieves my forgiveness. It achieves the the wiping away of all my sins. Though my sins are bloodstained red like crimson, the cross wipes that clean. Yes, the cross achieves forgiveness. But in Romans 8.32, Paul asks this amazing rhetorical question, the answer being the guaranteed benefits for the child of God. How shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? The cross achieves not just, (laughs) if we can even speak in those ways, not merely as staggering a prospect as that is, not merely our forgiveness, not just our justification that we can stand in a right relationship before God. It achieves not just the adoption of us into His forever, into His forever family. It achieves for us all things. All things. It's going to get us home. It's going to get us all the way home to heaven. You see that our problem, that isn't you know, our problem. We, we've trusted Jesus. We've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, but we've still got this burden. You've got this burden and it's brought about by, by suffering. It's brought about by trial. It's brought about by... Um, inner demons as we say today it's brought about by the constant sense that we fall short we fail every week we fail on sunday mornings we conclude and rightly so our worship services by singing hymns of commitment full of resolve lord i want to live for you i want to be all out for you and sometimes within a brief amount of time, some of us are going to be very conscious of our shortcomings, very aware, maybe painfully so, of our failures. And I want to say to those of us this morning who think that we've failed, that we've come up short, that it's worse than you think. (laughs) It's worse than you think. It's much worse than you think. You think you've failed? Well, we don't know the half of it. What do I do with my failures? What do I do with my trials? What do I do with my difficulties, my sufferings? All I have is Jesus. 
That's all I've got. That's all my hope. That's all my hope. That's all I've got. It's not Jesus plus the bits that I'm going to carry. There's Jesus and then I've got this burden that I've got to carry all the way into heaven. But I can't carry it. I can't carry it. It's too heavy for me. It's too great for me. And every time I try to carry it, I fall, I stumble. But there's grace. There's grace. Often have we heard Pastor Cain say, the grace that saves is the grace that enables. That sustaining grace that empowers us. The God of all grace. The the grace supplied for every moment. The grace supplied for every need. All I have is Jesus. We We keep saying it. And maybe some are saying, don't you have another song to sing? Nothing in my hands I bring. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. We keep saying it because we keep forgetting it. And we need the gospel preached to us every day. We keep forgetting it. All I have and all I need is Jesus. And that grace that he provides is all sufficient. But there's a third thing here. There's a lifestyle that shapes us. There's a trouble that confronts us. There's a grace that empowers us. And there's a lifestyle that shapes us. And it's in verse 6, and you're not going to like it. Look down there at verse 6. The opening verb of verse 6 is something we don't like. It says, humble yourselves. Peter is saying to you and to me this morning, you can't carry this burden. You are unable to carry this burden. It's too great for you. It's too heavy for you. So this is what you have to do. You have to bow. You have to bow. You know, we live in a a republic. Uh, we're, We're very egalitarian. You know, everybody's on equal footing. Nobody's better than me. We're not good at bowing. We're not good at going low. But before the King of kings, before the Lord of lords, we've got to bow. We've got to say, Lord, nothing, nothing in my hand. But you're saying, what about the trials? What about the anxieties? What about the suffering? Many of you, I trust, are already thinking about that special gift that you're going to get your sweetheart this week. Perhaps it's free babysitting on Friday night. Uh, I hope you're a little bit more, uh, you'll you'll get a little bit more than that. Um, But a present that, that sweetheart will receive and appreciate. Uh, perhaps you'll put it in a decorative box and present it to them. What about our anxieties? Well, I'd suggest that you wrap those up in a package <laughs> and stick a bow on it. Rather, if not literally, then figuratively and cast your burden upon the Lord. You know, 
Jesus won't re-gift it. This is something he desires. This is something he wants. Peter says, cast your burden upon the Lord. Cast your anxieties upon the Lord. And Peter knows what he's talking about here. He knows a thing or two about burdens and failures and pride. Uh, uh, at Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus says that he must go to Jerusalem and be crucified, you remember what Peter said there, putting two words in the same sentence that never belong together, and that is never, Lord. Remember there in Matthew 16? You are my sovereign king, but you are mistaken. And Peter says that we need to cast ourselves before the majesty of God, before the sweetness of our Lord Jesus Christ, and say, Lord, I've got a present for you. I'm giving it to you. And as the Lord opens the present and inside the present are, are our burdens and our trials and our anxieties and our doubts and our fears and our failures, and you give them over to Jesus because He will carry them for you. Cast your burden upon the Lord because He cares. He cares for you. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. All I have, all I have is Jesus. That's all I have, but it's enough. It's enough. It's more than enough. You and I have got to run Run to the cross and say, Lord, this, this burden is more than I can bear. Then stop carrying it. Stop carrying it. Flee to Calvary. Don't just walk, but run to the cross because He cares for you. He loves you. He loves you in a way that goes beyond description. Loved with everlasting love led by grace that love to know. There's a fourth thing here. Not just the trouble that confronts us, not just the grace that empowers us and the lifestyle that shapes us, but the glory that awaits us. You see that in verses 10 and 11. After you've suffered a, a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to what? To his eternal glory. Believer, He didn't just call you to conversion. He didn't just call you to regeneration. He didn't just call you to be justified. He called you to His eternal glory. He's going to bring you home. He's going to bring you home. Jesus promised, in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. Pastor Keynes has been taking us 
in leading us through an exposition of John chapter 17. And do you remember Jesus' last prayer there in John chapter 17 in the upper room, that high priestly prayer? Do you remember that last prayer that he prayed? Verse 24, Father, I desire that those you have given me will be with me where I am, that they might behold my glory. So let me ask you, do you think that the Father can say no to one of Jesus' prayers? Do you think the Father can say no to Christ, to the Son? Because that's what He prays. Those whom you have given me, that they might be with me where I am, that they might see my glory. Glory. Eternal glory. Christian, stop trying to carry those burdens. Give them to Jesus. Give them to Jesus. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your word. We want you now to hide it deep in our hearts. We confess all we have is Jesus, but all we need is Jesus. These things we pray in his powerful name. Amen.